Good morning. Today's scripture will be from John 19, 31 through 42. And if you're using the Pew Bible, it's page 906. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for the fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. This is the word of the Lord. It is finished. Arresting words. A few weeks ago, we heard some arresting words in our baptismal waters as a new member shared her testimony. And her testimony was, my dad had to die for the Lord to get my attention and to come back to him. Arresting words. God uses death to give life. God uses illness to give health. God uses suffering to grant hope. God uses the ashes of destruction, the brokenness of despondency, and the emptiness of depression to give beauty and peace and joy, and new life in Jesus Christ. I pray that this will be seen today, and heard, and known in this message as we look at John 19. Let's pray together. Father, remind us that you alone are able. You alone are able to bind up the brokenhearted. You alone are able to proclaim freedom for the captives. 
You alone are able to bestow a crown of beauty instead of ashes. To wash with the oil of gladness instead of mourning. To remove our clothes of despair and grant garments of praise. Remind us today, this is who you are. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So the last time I preached, I was told by someone who has my interest at heart that I started getting a little weak in the second service. So as most wives would do, they did something special. I bet y'all will never guess what she did. Guess, Stephanie, what'd she do? You're not going to guess. She fixed me a bowl of jambalaya and a bowl of smoked boudin this morning for breakfast. <laughs> so if I start belching during the service and you smell andouille sausage, that's from Paula. Only his dear wife would do that. Today we're going to visit a truth that is helpful to remember if we are to walk by faith. Today we're going to also look at two men. Two men who were secret followers of Jesus Christ. But had a bold change in their testimony. Before the resurrection ever occurred. One of the truths that we need to really focus on and remember if we're going to walk by faith is God rules and God reigns. When life seems to not make sense, when circumstances seem overwhelming, when life is challenging and trying, God rules and God reigns. This we should remember. There's a recurring phrase in John chapter 19 to encourage our remembering well. To encourage us to remember God is in control, God rules and God reigns. In John 19 verse 24, looking at Christ's garments and his clothes being divided up amongst the soldiers, we read, let's not tear this one, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get this inner garment. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. This was his inner garment, his inner tunic. It had no seams. Just like Christ's life, it was seamless. No compartments. Just the way our lives should be. Seamless. All in for Jesus Christ. All set apart. For his honor and his glory. This happened that scripture might be fulfilled. In verse 28 of John 19. Later knowing that all was now completed. And so that scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus said I am thirsty. A strong reminder that in the brutal act of crucifixion. Crucifixion of an innocent man. Even there. God rules and God reigns. 
as the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, hangs on a rough, brutal Roman cross, parched and dehydrated, longing for drink. Remember, God rules and God reigns. In John 19, verses 31 through 34, now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers, therefore, came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus, they found that he was already dead, and they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. Then we read verse 36. These things happened so that Scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus crucified. And now in the completed task of his death, God is still in control. Way back in Exodus chapter 12, instructions are given regarding these lambs sacrificed at Passover. They were to be without blemish, without defect, without disease. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 5, the animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. In verses, verse 46 of the same chapter, it must be eaten inside one house. Take none of the meat outside the house. Do not break any of the bones. Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, was to not have any bones broken. This to fulfill Scripture. Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, who ever, forever fulfills the Passover sacrifice, sinless, without defect, without broken bone. God rules and God reigns. A fourth evidence of this truth that we see in chapter 19, verse 20, uh, 37, and as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. This piercing, a reference to the soldier piercing Jesus' side. Scripture being fulfilled from Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child. And grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. The repeated truth, this fulfilling scripture, that scripture may be fulfilled, is a reminder and evidence the truth that even in the chaos and injustice of life, God rules and God reigns. Attributes of God that we profess to believe 
yet our fears, our anxiety, and our fretfulness boldly proclaims unbelief. Please pause with me long enough today to hear the weight of this truth. During the arrest, the crucifixion, and the burial of Jesus Christ, the message is clear and it is loud. Scripture must be fulfilled. This is a bold declaration. Clear. Echoed repeatedly. God rules. And God reigns. Join me today in declaring this we believe. The second item that I would like us to spend a few minutes looking at today is the change exampled by Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus in their lives. In John chapter 19, verses 38 through 40, this is what we read. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped Wrapped it with spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish custom. Joseph of Arimathea, a member of the Sanhedrin. Not just a member of the Sanhedrin, part of the ruling council of the religious leaders. Was a secret disciple of Jesus Christ. But as we look at Luke 23... Verses 50, 51, we see that he was also an honorable man, a righteous man. He was also expectingly looking forward to the kingdom of God. But we are told he had not consented to the Sanhedrin's decision nor their actions. I made an inaccurate assumption in assuming that meant he disagreed with it. He may have disagreed with it. But it may have also been that this council met early in the morning because the trial was illegal and the first hearing was early in the morning and many of the council members were not present. He may have disagreed. He may have just not been present. But it was on record he did not consent to their decision or their plans. But now he comes forward to Pilate, requesting the body. I want you to understand this is taking massive risk. Massive risk that he could be killed by the Jews for. Massive risk that he could be killed by Pilate. For showing respect and honor to Christ's body. He will be removed from the Sanhedrin. He may be run out of Jerusalem. More than likely this will have tremendous financial hardships. 
What changed? What changed to make Joseph of Arimathea move from a secret disciple to boldly going to Pilate saying, I want that body. What changed? I believe they were attributes of God. Attributes that had been always seen in Christ's life, but more clearly observed and identified in his arrest, his death, and his subsequent burial that convinced Joseph of Arimathea, the risk is worth it, I'm all in. Count me in. I can no longer be a secret disciple. Three that I think stand out is, number one, forgiveness. Who can practice God-honoring forgiveness while being unjustly accused, illegally tried, facing brutal murder, and still pray for their adversaries? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I think Christ always showed kindness. But who can evidence kindness that while in physical agony on a brutal cross can practice redemption and comfort to a deserved criminal that you don't even know and welcome him into God's family with the words today. You will be with me in paradise. What kindness. Peace. Who can speak tender shalom, tender wholeness and wellness to their mother and a friend? In John 19, 26 and 27, we see Christ say this. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, who? Who can speak wellness and wholeness and say, Mom, your grief and heartache are great. But dear woman, here is your son. John, here is your mother. I think these attributes of God were clear, more clearly seen during his arrest, his trial, his crucifixion, and his burial. I believe Joseph of Arimathea saw God's character in contrast to the behavior of the religious leaders and their brutality and his life changed. And he said, I'm all in. Secret disciple no more. How about Nicodemus? He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus had visited Christ in John chapter 3. A few months ago we looked at this passage... 
Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. A few chapters later, in John chapter 7, Nicodemus steps into the middle of a, contact, a conflict of the ruling council. Verse 37 and 38, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Verse 38 of chapter 7, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from him. Then in verse 45, we read further. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked him, why didn't you bring him in? No one has ever spoken this way like this man, the guards declared. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted. Has any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? No. But this mob knows nothing of the law. There is a curse on them. Verse 50, Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he is doing? The religious leaders replied, Are you from Galilee too? And you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. Anger and harshness as Nicodemus steps in the middle of this conflict. Nicodemus is a questioner, yet stealthily. He is a listener, yet still a part of the Sanhedrin. Now, Nicodemus boldly declares to Pilate, I'm all in. Nicodemus joins Joseph of Arimathea in obtaining Christ's body, in cleaning Christ's dead body, in wrapping and preparing Christ's body, in moving Christ's body. This is a bold declaration and a very costly, perhaps deadly one. This will cost him his religious authority. This will cost him financially. This will cost him socially. Men do not prepare dead bodies. Women and slaves do. This will cost him culturally. Successful, educated men preparing and burying a beaten, disfigured corpse of a man two hours before the Sabbath. Where's your dignity? The leader of the movement slain. The other followers gone into hiding. But Joseph and Nicodemus get up, go to Pilate, and identify themselves as disciples. These two men of reputation, 
a few hours before Passover, prepare Christ's broken body. What changed? What attributes of the Messiah had been observed to foster this boldness even before the resurrection had occurred? I think Nicodemus saw a sincere humility. This Jesus was a suffering servant. This Jesus came to humble himself, even to be obedient unto death on a cross. As we read in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Yes. True humility was on display throughout Christ's life, but perhaps never more clearly seen and observed and identified as during his arrest, his crucifixion, and his burial. I think Nicodemus also saw and observed the love of Christ differently. You will recall that in John chapter 13, Christ had special instructions about a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. Loving one another has been a command. But it's new now. It will be seen differently. The love that Christ will reflect will be different than any love you have seen. Love for his disciples despite their fleeing. Love for Mary with her inconsolable grief. Love for John, despite his distance. Love for his executioners, despite their hatred. Love for the thief on the cross next to him, despite a life wasted. A new command I give you. Nicodemus had seen and observed what Christ had taught from John 13. And I think he came face to face with a choice. How can I ever receive God's love and not be an agent that gives his love? I honor the mangled body of Christ. I respect the unclean, abandoned body of Christ. Nicodemus declares, I have seen enough and I'm all in. I'm all in. As a disciple of Jesus Christ. We're left with a question. What about you? This passage teaches us that God rules and reigns even in the chaos of life. Even in the brokenness of life, we profess this belief. But it is time we live it. 
We cannot rejoice in Christ ruling and reigning while living anxious, fretful, fearful lives. Today, would you join me in professing and living out the truth, God rules and God reigns. Two men were radically changed while watching the attributes of God through the trial, crucifixion, and burial of Jesus Christ. God forgives. God is kind. God is a God of shalom. God offers hope. God is forbearing. God loves. God is patient. God saves. God redeems. God is holy. God is just. I'm all in. We don't know. When or what emboldened these two men. But we do know who changed their hearts. Jesus Christ still changes hearts today. Jesus Christ still transforms lives today. He still boldly declares, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Jesus Christ, the able one. He is able to bind up the brokenhearted. He is able to proclaim freedom for the captives. He is able to bestow a crown of beauty from ashes. He is able to wash with the oil of gladness in place of mourning. He is able to take off our clothes of despair and grant garments of praise. This is our Messiah. I'm all in. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the testimony of these two men. Thank you for the testimony of your word. Thank you for the authority that you rule and you reign regardless of the chaos of life. We thank you that you have that authority. May we be a people who live this truth in honor and glory for your name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.